Welcome to Woods and the Sound, a monthly audio series held by Foresta Collective, where we converse, listen to, and exchange with humans and modern humans in dedication to the emergence of an imaginary for a more ecological and connected being in the world. Monthly themes are sprouting from Foresta Lexicon and are explored deeper in our Ecologies of Attention Dojo, an online community of practice for this time in between paradigms. As things become more fluid and less fixed, we believe it's important to hold spaces for slow discernment, reconnection to a more embodied presence, and poetic outlook. As you are listening to conversations, practice, and soundscapes in this podcast, we encourage you to pay attention to resonances also as a physical experience and reverberations of breath. In this episode, we are learning from plants, paying close attention to the rhizome, a subterranean plant stem that sends out roots and shoots from its nodes. Rhizome is carrying multiple meanings within it and we want to acknowledge the influence of Gilles Deleuze and Félix Guattari in our thinking about rhizomes. However, we are not interested in a purely philosophical discourse, but rather in thinking how, learning from rhizome, can we find new ways for being together differently, in a shared space, in the seen and the unseen worlds, in the space of radical beginnings. Rhizome offers us to think of poetics of interconnectedness, of a structure without a center, of a fundamental openness to new connections, to emergence, respecting multiplicity, heterogeneity, and the process that is open for encounters with the outside, and defined by the ability to form symbiotic connections, adding different dimensions. We also relate to an incompleteness and complexities of the rhizome metaphor and of learning from and with plants in general. We invited Philip Coleman, a designer working with food and plants, for a conversation, which was recorded on the market square of a small village in Zutirol. In the practice part of this episode, we explore rhizomatic connections within the context of Topolo, a village in northeastern Italy, very close to the border with Slovenia, where a cultural association, Robida, is rethinking art residentiality in marginal areas. The metaphor of a rhizome and learning from plants inspired both the how and the what of our conversation. While pondering the ideas for looking at the village as an intelligent organism, a self-organizing body, a network, a structure without a center. People who took part in this conversation are Jack Bartwell, Kim Lang, Elena Braida, Philip Coleman, Alias Schlepp, Timon and Yesef from Studio Wild Architecture, Matteo and Natalia from Societa Esoterica de Illusionismo Critico, and other humans associated with Robida who was the host and cultural association in the village of Topolo. Who is this uh, Russian artist? 
For me, most exciting things to be uh, the summers always in Switzerland now to to follow these to follow these seasons, but also what I'm used from at home. And this, I, like in these eight years that I lived in the Netherlands, or these five years of intensive studies in the Netherlands, I lost a lot of this connection to the season. And with the season, there comes the season of the animals, the season of the plants, the season of, of harvest. And now being in Switzerland, I also like that was the first rural environment where also my professional practice found application that I was building up in the Netherlands. And then I, I, I had to get used to the fact that in the Netherlands I could just, yeah, as we, as we spoke before, I was making the schedule, I was responsible for the schedule. But then also if I did not hold on to that schedule, I felt guilty because I, I set this goal, I didn't achieve it, and I think this creates a lot of pressure. In, or that was, especially for me, in, in urban environments, it creates a lot of pressure. You make appointments, you have to go to these appointments, nothing can break this appointment except of really severe disease or even worse. Like, the weather is not the reason to not, to not go to that meeting or to not, uh, to not achieve that goal. But when you're on the, like, when you live in an environment where you, yeah, where you so much depend on these other species, then I had to learn to, yeah, to respect their rhythm, that they are giving the tune to my rhythm. And I think this, this, if you allow yourself to fall into that, that, that can be a huge relief. Right, and, I, and it makes me think how, also what we, what we spoke about just now, how this kind of human mastery and human control, cities became the spaces where we just, we reign, you know, the humans reign, you know, we decide yeah. where things will be built, how things, who is allowed to live there. How the river flows. How the how river the flows, yeah. yes. Yeah. All, like we are completely in control. and. Which is on the one hand, like as if gives us this very safe feeling that okay, we decide, but actually it's also an illusion because after all, you know, we are on the planet, a uh, little piece of dust, uh, beautiful living organisms that surround us in the cosmos and in, in this huge unknown space, and and you know thinking of what you're saying now, so actually tuning into seasons and tuning into other creatures, we can unlearn our mastery, but also yeah. for yeah. to find a balance and to be more real actually, to become more real, instead of trying to live in this illusion of controlling reality. Yeah, and with then real you mean being connected to to all these other life forms right. that we depend upon. Yes, end. definitely, yeah. definitely. This kind of acknowledging, acknowledging the worlds that sustain us, but also, it is more real also because you know now Corona, for example, also is showing us that we are not in control. That you know things happen and then, and and we need to just be well with unknown also and to be, you know, to to, to this kind of let go of this idea of. of 
controlling reality around us and like be more at, with attention. And this is what I also really like how you gave this example of the cranberries and you know you you collect them until a certain point and then they are not ripe yet. So you need you, you need to wait. So yeah. through attentiveness to the living landscape, you you actually also become more real in this way because you don't grab them because you already said to the shop or to the supermarket that you will bring them that and that amount yeah, of cranberries yeah. you are really there to, to notice yeah, yeah. what is possible now what yeah is but that's why this this kind of product development that we are trying to do or this creating an infrastructure for these resources of the land it's not something that happens within the summer no it happens through years because this is how you learn to read and to read how things grow but also how they behave with with the season and with the rain with the with the amount of water with the sun you, you even you even see that at some spots where you where you can where you could guess that there is less sunlight the fruits also look different they taste different they look different and i think this is really beautiful if you yeah, um, if you allow yourself to recognize these things above, like, mass of collecting or the goal of collecting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, maybe also, actually, Philip, for you, like, for your work, when did you start working with, when did you start working with plants? Or how did it happen that you got curious in plants? When did I really focus? I think I started, I think for me first, in a focus was the microbiology, like really looking at this interspecies communication of, of fungi, bacteria, and then, and first with us. So I was first looking at this, this microbe and our body. And then I think really naturally it was just a matter of time that the plant would appear because they often they, repre they represent this, this bridge between us and the soil, for example. We're not eating soil yet, but we're eating the plants. So, if... And this, this is then where, what caught for me this, this, this attention that microbes are like being the bridge between us and other species. Either in eating or just uh, like physically interacting with. I think that's when I... And then a bit through gardening, I started looking at this interaction between soil ecology, plant ecology and then food ecology how how microbiological activities are being carried on onto the plants and then from the plants by processing them into food and fermentation you carry on this ecology from the ground to the plant and then further to our food and then to our body and then if you spin it further then it goes back into the soil ideally <laughs> like this very idealized circle of, of and that all these that these microbes are really like they're present from the beginning till the end and then constantly present yeah this is super interesting um, you know Lynn Margulis the biologist and evolutionary theorist she spoke about how bacteria are our common ancestors and then at some yeah, point yeah, yeah, exactly. they decided to you know some of them developed into animals or humans and other animals some developed into plants and some into mushrooms and so on and so forth so there was like this um, as if a moment of decision of course we cannot know but how kind of 
the microorganisms are always there and continue to be there and you know how this you know in this cycle actually, actually microorganisms so, who are more or less constant right like if you go to the soil to the plant to the human to the, to the other animal back to the soil so they are the ones who are actually still they're in charge <laughs> <laughs> after all but yeah it's I, I mean Lynn Magu I loved it when she started or for me she was really opening up this world of that where I loved there's one part where she's talking about how um, certain microbes or fungi decided to team up she's very often I think using this 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 term teaming up and also with agency for decision yeah like again either it was for survival or reproduct or reproductive purposes certain microbes would team up with plant cells and then evolved in photosynthesizing uh, plant cells that came from cyanobacteria and like the, all these kind of processes also in our body like all these metabolic processes that they all but all because they started teaming up with other with other molecules or cells Right, and what I, what I really like about this, and again, maybe it's something that I, because in my work I'm interested in resonance and how it also, this teaming up, feels like it's rooted in this resonance, you know, like, oh, we, we like each other, let's team up and let's, you know, let's, let's do this or let's try to become this. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I guess it's, of course, not uh, maybe so articulated, but it's like this other ways of knowing also where we humans try to go towards this more intuitive ways to perceive reality more embodied uh, ways to perceive reality and to make decisions instead of kind of very logical and rational only and when you also use this word teaming up uh, it, it sounds to me a bit like there is a resonance involved yeah, in, that's, in, yeah. in making almost like coalitions together yeah, I mean, yeah that's yeah that's I mean, I don't know about the etymological background of teaming up, but I think that's the nice thing of it, that it usually indicates that there is an exchange of, of services, of activities, of like helping each other, like to, but then still achieving the same goal, whatever that goal might be. And do you feel that in your work this exchange is happening? Like now, for example, when you're approaching plants, um, I don't know, maybe you can also introduce a little bit to this project that you're working on now and and if you feel this exchange, if you feel you are teaming up. Yeah, I mean this is, I think that's still, still for me always a bit of a delicate thing to, because sometimes I don't feel, um, I don't, how do you say, I don't uh, feel, I don't have the, I don't have the right to say that because most of the time it's still I still feel that plants or microbes they serve me much more than I can serve them I think if I would not be here they would be also happy <laughs> like they would still do their things that they always do I, I, some, I often feel that I'm more of a yeah also sometimes intruder or like a bit invasive <laughs> like that, but still with now with this fruit tree project I don't I see the value in in highlighting the qualities of what is already there and as we spoke like if if you're capable of, of making something that is being eaten or drunk and then at the same time communicate the story of this 
story of the season or the story of the wild plant and the domesticated plant originates from the wild plant and how similar they are in taste but also how they can accomplish each other. I think there is always, we do, or I do that because it has a certain purpose and it's a purpose that can be understood by as many people as possible. So I think then it depends always on the consumer to be curious or interested in in reading the whole story behind it or just enjoy it sensorily. Where, yeah, where I, I do, what for me was always really fascinating is this bit, this, um, this mythology of the kefir grains, of the milk kefir for example. This very fascinating symbiosis between uh, yeast and lactic acid bacteria that some say originate from the body of an animal because just the microbiological communities that are involved in kefir are very similar to raw milk cultures. And that's somehow, but these kefir in so many, especially Eastern European cultures, and Asia also, are, they were the only way how to consume milk. And I think this, this for me represents a really, I think, authentic symbiotic relationship between microbes and humans and just because this kefir grains we didn't invent them they invented themselves and then they went into an, an interrelationship with humans because we allowed we made sure that they would reproduce or that they could live on by giving them the right conditions same with us with sourdough or other kombucha like it's all all these kombucha and vinegar also it's all this symbiosis between two different two very for each other unnative organisms that evolved into this relationship and then became useful to us which I think is really fascinating because we didn't invent this organism making vinegar or <laughs> soured milk but they did it and then we discovered hey this is happening and it's good for us so I always wonder yeah, how, how is, I mean, this is just amazing. How is that possible that, that something happens like this and then we just like pick it up and then <laughs> use it? Yeah, and I guess this is also where attention comes in again, right? Because it takes a human to notice that, oh, well, actually, this yeah, is really tasty. You have to observe it, yeah. Because right? so. they, like, same as plants, they need so specific conditions. And if you don't, if you don't follow these rules that they kind of give us, then yeah, they look for they look for a different environment where they can survive. Yeah, if you could say a little bit about this project that you're working on now with the wild um, fruit and like like what it is about for you and how how do you approach it? And now what I'm further working on is how to create um, products with. Uh, merging wild fruits and products together with the domesticated ones to again create this relationship between the bigger landscape and the micro landscape of the cultivated land. Like, because you have, except of apples, but you have wild plums, you have a lot of wild berries that became kind of domesticated ones. And why do you feel it's important to connect the wild? Um plums or wild apples with domesticated fruit? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, to be honest, I think it, it 
because I, I have the feeling often the wild plants because they're more rare and because they're also much more depending on the they're much more attuned with the the, the seasons. seasons they they just have the higher value often like they're being considered as precious and even though I believe that that's yeah it's not really a doesn't make sense at all but still if it is an argument to make the house apple more precious by adding wild cherries then I think it and it tells something about where the things come from so again in those products it would be the main goal is to, to create the link between the product and the land and I think there again it's about this symbiotic relationship that if if you know how to yeah it's always this what's the use of it it's same for the kefir. If the kefir doesn't have an environment where he can really profit and grow in it, then he then he says goodbye. <laughs> so. But actually, the symbiotic relationship it depends on this, yeah, being well somewhere and being in symbiosis, in in, in resonance, in like wishing to do it basically. In a way, the rhizome is about being open to this symbiotic connections and making connections and and what you are speaking about to me it sounds like you are bringing a lot this mindset into your projects into your work and looking at interconnectedness and looking at this kind of fundamental openness to connections between the domesticated and the wild and uh, so on and so forth Right, like also yeah, with the, with yeah. the microbes, like you're saying, well, actually they will connect to each other and they will reproduce and they will like, things will start happening if these connections, if the symbiotic connections will be possible and we kind of, do, so do you see your kind of place or role or I don't know how to call this, do you see your engagement as a way to create conditions for these connections to happen? Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I, I think that's that's my ultimate goal. <laughs> that's I would have never been able to formulate it that way. But I think that's 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 what I'm trying to to, to achieve with it. Not just yeah. And I think I I, I just had to think of the because there is often there is this one this really tiny plum, um, Schleduan. It's like with a lot of thorns and it grows on like in a lot of in between acres you have bushes of these and they're hardly being used because they're it's like two-thirds seed and one-third meat but they have a really strong flavor and by putting them next to a real plum like a zwetschke has a lot of meat really sweet but and it's for the people that don't know that this the one is originating from the other one like, but when you put them next to each other or when you combine them in a product, for example, and you experience those two things through flavor, then you recognize, oh, wow, it's like the small one and the big one. They kind of, they come from the same. So I think it's also like, not teaching, but, but learning, learning these connections and these origins of, of these things through smell and taste which is something that is very 
it's it's always very easily understood for people. Like you you just you smell it and you taste it. So there is no there is no question of culture or nature or like there is no complexity of 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 words or of it's just that's it. And this is this I think is really that's really beautiful. Yeah. And when you say they come from the same, so like from the same family, or you feel they just belong together, kind of a taste. -wise. No, yeah, like for me, as I'm often busy with developing sensorial pleasing products, it is like there is also for me there's a very practical functionality in putting these two things together because the complexity of flavor rises in a good way because they accomplish each other. Like just by nature, <laughs> they, they really do. Like these, you have the bitterness, you have the sourness, you have the sweetness. So it's it's all it's all coming together. And it also reminds me actually of the Zen cuisine. Like the, in the in the Zen way of cooking, you need to combine like all these different tastes: the bitter, the sour, the yeah, sweet. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the umami is really merges it together. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also then also about diversity, right? Like that it's not just this one sweet taste and then it's like the sugary whatever, like the candies, you know, that, that we sometimes may be addicted to or whatever, but it's like really creating a complexity of taste through enriching diversity. And yeah. yeah, I mean, then there is also a really interesting topic of our yeah of our sensorial sensitivities if we are capable of capable noticing. yeah cap capable of noticing nutrients the lack of nutrients the over the over um, the over presence of nutrients like umami is such a such an important thing in that because it's it, it indicates that there is a very rich amount of all the amino acids that we that our body needs for cell reproduction so there is there's a very, very functional, functional um, origin in these flavors. Then you have other flavors that, that indicate this or indicate that. Bitterness often indicates the presence of poison. Or, so it's plants produce bitterness to kind of not be eaten, <laughs> like the other, the other species. And thinking again with this openness to connections and creating conditions for connections, and how it is also reflected in our own bodies and thinking of the holobiont, the notion of holobiont and the microbiome and that actually a healthy microbiome is also a diverse microbiome, the diversity of yeah, bacteria, diversity, but also yeah. an environment where they actually want to connect to each other. Again, this creating conditions yeah, for, yeah. Um, right, that they, want, that they want to connect, that they want to, yeah. to form this rhizomatic network or whatever we can call it. Um, and that's that in a way like what we put into ourselves from the environment is so important because this is, becomes part of our microbiome and yeah. through that we yeah. create conditions of exactly. yeah. connections. Yeah. Yeah. So once we, I think, because again it, if it's functional for us then it's, then it's much easier for us to perform these things. But I think once you understand that by doing something good to the, to the plants, you also do something good to you. And again, it's like this. It's a rhizomatic yeah. <laughs> connection. It's, it's so Mutually easy, but so difficult to. Symbiosis. Yeah. Yeah. 
Why is it so difficult, do you think? I think because we are so complicated. <laughs> we are so, so complicated. <laughs> How did we become so, like, why are we so complicated? Why not to kind of just... I guess this is also where the body becomes interesting because for the body things are very simple. You know, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm, yeah. I eat, yeah. I'm thirsty, I drink, I want to sleep, I go to sleep. You yeah. know, like it's yeah. like listening, it's like with the seasons, you know, it's yeah. simple. Like it's summer, nice, we can be outdoors. It's raining, well, let's go in, let's hide somewhere. Like it's, it's yeah. very simple. So I guess like we are missing now this simplicity. We became so highly intellectually complex that we are getting lost in our own yeah, we yeah. turn complexity into complications. Yeah, I think this this expectation of productivity is one of the biggest biggest disease in our current uh, like culture. Like this, what does it mean to be productive? And like, I think this is really a big big uh, wall that yeah it has to be put down. And that's why it's so interesting this project with the wild uh, and domestic fruit that you are working on because it's not efficient like you know it's like what you are saying like it's it's not this it's not an environment that is favorable for productivity but rather no. for creativity yeah totally yeah absolutely yeah i think this is really nice yeah We began the conversation with an embodied exercise to connect to the breath, to expand, to sense the body in space, to feel the ground through the feet. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about, about that, about the, this sort of distribution of... of um, I, d I don't know if it's not necessarily power and sometimes it's, resp it's responsibility or... I think the the thing is that when we were talking about Isba perhaps becoming a central place and someone said that it really helped their thinking about it. And I think at the time it did help to switch our thinking from that residency building being the central topic to changing it as a trigger for us to then think about it from a different perspective a different center but then um yeah then it was saying okay well we've done that shift now we've managed to take that extreme to make us like in our heads move away from it but really what we're talking about is not having something that is considered the center and trying to look at it as a network i think the issue really arises when and it was clear when it said this helps me think about it um when someone said that it meant uh, and I also think it's about how we want to communicate outside of this place. Because I think having a, it's like auteur theory as well, like with directors of films, like having someone that is responsible for something and gets like the credit for something is actually really useful for people to understand how things work. Because it's hard for us to see a complete network in, in one go. And I think, yeah, this idea of, and I also find it difficult in my process of like, do I start with these narrative, like overall ideas for things or from an, from an object or from something that then can go out into these other, other, other aspects? Because I think sometimes it's quite useful. Like you also then see it with Rabida 
the magazine it's not like that is a focus but then really it becomes about all these other things about the content that people create when someone's writing something for it then it then then it's their little world is the node where they're creating content for it and then the fact it brings this community together and if you started a project and said i need a way to make six people around the world do some writing uh four people visit us for this thing like i need to create all of those things as separate nodes maybe down the line you'd come to a magazine as the format or is but as the format but it's quite hard to start from that point of the rhizomatic thing and i think you also see it because it's uh something that grows more organically but i think maybe it's about I don't know, then it's maybe a conversation of what's communicated outside of here. It's not possible to communicate everything at once. Um, so what is useful for the structure here as a way of thinking about things and what's useful for how we talk about things would, for example, be useful if there's Isba and people when they're coming for the residency think, I'm going to this cafe in the remote area of thing to do something for that rather than or do we want people to think I'm going to a community to um, be a part of lots of bits of it and I don't know what yet. Sort of, there's, I think, yeah, there's a shift of thinking. Um, yeah, I could keep deviating, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my initial thoughts. Well, well you just said uh, in connection to Inea, it's like if I want to embody it again, it's maybe it's also the village as a body and all these houses are different organs. And sometimes one organ has a, a very specific role or needs a very specific focus because there is a disease or it's weak. And then you need to eat a certain specific food or nutrients to, to nourish it. And yeah, so maybe the new house, it's an organ that is already in the body, but we don't really know what role it has. and. Um, yeah, what it serves the whole organism to. So now to shift this focus to ISBA again, for me also helped a lot to say like, ah, maybe this, it's the heart. Uh, for <laughs> me also, what Kim said was very interesting, you know, to talk about organisms, because also today, if we maybe say a little bit, we're talking about renovating a house here in Topolo for, uh, for let's call it, you know, a residency place for people artists whatever not to use that word to come here and to to dwell here in the place we were talking about how to construct a house here uh, how to make it a part of the village right and i really thought of this when we were going into this microcosm you know micro scale and micro scale of the house at the micro scale i, I even thought of um you know, having this house as a sort of, a, as you said, you know, a body without organs. It, uh, for me, it would be nice for it not to be an organ. Therefore, we went into this new, let's say, different uh, thought about the design of the house, which could be very, very flexible. You know, that it wouldn't just talk, uh, that it wouldn't just uh, deal with one need of the whole village. It could also deal with, with, uh, very very different needs you know of different people who come here and that all of the all of these people could uh, connect to this place in their way so the house would be like a toolbox a swiss knife uh, for uh, for 
you know, for not just recognizing the needs of other people, but also, um, you know, emphasizing them, you know, and with, uh, with let's say, uh, having a dynamic house which, which moves, that's a really interesting idea. So to not give also certain parts of the house uh, the names of different organs, let's say, but to keep it very, very open, for me, that was, that was very important and something to take into consideration. Yeah, maybe just as you refer to the body without organs, I think, again, I'm not a Deleuze Guattari specialist, just to say that I understand it in my own way, so and not... No uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like this kind of thinking of body without organs is also going away from this organized body and disciplined body and like a kind of... Uh, and it reminds me of our conversation, Elena, with where the central centralized hierarchies prevent playfulness like they don't allow for playfulness because there are already rules or like what we've been speaking about this thing this is how things are done here and in a way the body human body is such a structure like we cannot come with our own rules we are part of another structure that is already there right like we we don't choose do i want to digest things with my brain or with my right leg i don't know like it's, it's not an option like it's already there the structure is centralized in this way but I guess this idea of a body without organs is their attempt to play with a, what if a body is without organs? Like, like what, what, like, what kind of potentials can open uh, if this happens? Yeah, I um, think it's also interesting to um, uh, to reflect upon the um, notion also of contamination, because like in the moment that you you receive a recipe or you gave yourself to a recipe and you digest it and then you perform it or even just the act of reading it out loud in in a way contaminates what was the first instruction and and as you said uh, in the there are so many factors that change uh, which can be the environment which can be um yeah also the um yeah the emotional value that one person put on these words or on this object which can be um and so i'm thinking also in terms of uh, yeah this um interrelationship as contamination so it's something that fluently goes right and left goes up and then if i see it also as a space as this place as we were saying before like that residence comes and then and then um, the new arrived and there is this passage of knowledge, contamination, and then it's contaminated to the next one and then to the next one again and again and again without at one point being any center. All of a sudden it's not like uh, this person who started it, but he also may have taken from somebody else. So especially speaking about knowledge and, sh and sharing knowledge, I think uh, that's a good thing to keep it in mind that can also be translated in the architecture in the design in the infrastructure of the of the gubana or uh, otopolo no yeah i think that that's a really yeah super nice reflection on the word contamination as well because i think it's also something that vida talks about a lot that there's and we talked a little bit about it with this inside outside idea that, that you hear Vida sort of saying, 
yeah not there's like a rhetoric around you know people in the countryside and people coming in and that i think both ways of that rhetoric being used of either like people from the city coming to show people out in the country who don't know anything how modern life is and then the other way around that um you know you come to the city to the countryside to as this um this like romanticism idea that you go away as an artist into um isolation into like a sanctuary to to be inspired by nature which is this yeah been around since the romanticism period um but yeah this the idea of contamination also the fact that contamination is a dirty word especially now with the pandemic that um i think to actually almost yeah almost reclaim that that it is a two-way thing and that both people both rub off on each other um is a really yeah interesting thing to to think about what i'd like what yeah what i'd like to sort of explore though is i still think there is a difference between inside and outside and you know i think there's a danger in and i don't know what that is maybe we can sort of discuss that i don't know if it's still a rhizomatic thing but we'll come back to it but this how do you acknowledge what is the difference that people do have established people live here and they do have established routines and things that need to be respected and there's some some things have been there for longer and and i don't know if we take that back to the met maybe if i ask like if we can try and relate that to the metaphor of the network again with the rhizomatic network of these mycelium connect uh, contact uh, working with trees that have been there for a long period of time or or maybe the rhizomatic network's been there for even longer like how is how is this sort of trying to be non-distinguishing between the contaminator and the contaminated um how is that also weighed up against the fact that some people are here for longer and sort of like is there a hierarchy of respect or i don't know like what what is that because i think I think it's the same thing we had some other discussions you know with a shift in my mind when I was this is going off topic but a shift in my mind when I was younger of you know I grew up in London a very multicultural city but I was always told you know you shouldn't mention race you know that you shouldn't mention the fact that someone's black and that that because you know it should be that we're all equal but actually like now that shifting is that that thinking has shifted for me and for a lot of people I think of where it's like, no, you need to acknowledge that someone comes from a different background and they have a different experience to you and to ignore that people have a different experience to you is, is ridiculous and naive and not, um, yeah. So I think I, I had a similar reflection of thinking, okay, well, if we just ignore the fact that some people are coming in here and doing something different or, yeah that that we're not we're not being we're not acknowledging people's different experience of of existence or whatever and I, how does that work within a rhizomatic idea of community sorry it sounds like it also relates to multiplicities right like this uh, also the another principle of uh, of the rhizomatic being in the world that acknowledging the multiplicities that they are that they are and that 
implied difference and like it's uh, I mean I grew up in the Soviet Union so that was like we are all equal and like you know we are all <laughs> brothers and sisters and let's march together and this was one big show like it's unreal because in like and this is also inside outside in this way also what is inside one's own mind and then what is being translated from the structure where somebody tells you how to think and who we are who we all are right like and deleting multiplicities and in this way also deleting the world of many worlds and i think it is very important to acknowledge exactly that and that there is a difference but it doesn't imply a hierarchy like hierarchical thinking right away yeah but for me i mean uh, i think we kind of solve that problem when we divide private and public space you know, at a private space, when someone enters my house, they have to respect all of those rules, you know. But in, in a sense, I think that we want to have a place where Jack did a, a fantastic uh, example of all of this. When he came here to Topolo, he started to learn on the piano the Philip Glass's uh, piece of, of glasswork, or what was it, you know. And that, that piece is very strange because it has like... A, in the left hand, you're playing uh, what eight notes, you know, dun 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 dun, and in the the right hand, you're playing triplets, you know. And we're always saying the people. I mean, always saying from that day on, I'm always saying that people who come here are the triplet parts. You know, they're just a bit more agitated. And the the other the other hand is doing this slow, very you know, uh, solid. Let's say, but. You know, when you come to, to my house, I would like you to, you know, at least try to get my eight <laughs> notes, you know. Uh, but when we go to a public space, I really much appreciate if those two work together in, and in the example of Philip Glass, those two fit perfectly. And, <laughs> and they make, you know, the, the, the something new, something third. You know, that is not just this or this. Uh, they make something uh, qualitatively new. And that for me is, uh, uh, is something very, very great. And I think it's really in this distinction of the private and public space. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Such a good example. I, I want to come back also to this inside and outside. And uh, yeah, I wanted to question again, like how can we practice these things of inclusivity uh, also on a very small uh, scale, like really microcosmos and I wanted to take this e room as an example for now like we started this practice maybe half an hour ago and soon new people will come to us in this room and uh, yeah in my mind this question came like okay what will we do if they enter like how much should we inform them about what we are I doing also thought or about the fact you know that I sat here next to you and uh, I was kind of the, the only one in this uh, one square meter <laughs> and it and it made me feel like you know I'm, uh, I'm you know taking the microphone for myself. Uh, you know what I wanted to propose actually it's so nice how again this uh, this invisible so again just like f for me the ri the rhizome the very fascinating thing is it is invisible it is under or the mycelium you know all these networks are actually under the earth so we don't see them we don't we don't notice them but kind of. Um, also relating to what you said, like what, how do we include people? And it's, it's like going again into this like dichotomy as if, right? Like, do I now 
say like da, 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 da. do I go into the centralized kind of structure or will it happen otherwise and if it can happen then how because and I think for me at least it has definitely something to do with the body because indeed we absorb things with, a ho with our, our whole being but if we don't hide them like if you know if I don't stop breathing suddenly or stop perceiving reality around me, I can include other people and they will be like, ah, okay, something is in the air. I, I sense something, but this is this other ways of knowing. I'm really inspired by um, everything we talked about yesterday and today as well. And seeing this place more as, as a sort of a central part of a community and a part of a resometric um, network and be just a sort of a neutral node in a, into a bigger structure. And um, um, I'm constantly trying to see how to how we can translate this sort of um, uh, very valuable, but in a way also a quite abstract way of thinking into how we can practically translate this into doing a house like this. Because then, um, yeah, also maybe um, maybe sometimes boring things come into mind, like how could this translate to a financial structure or less boring uh, nicer how could it translate into how you transform such a building because uh, uh, once you figure out the boring financial part that you can start the act of doing um, uh, at first we, we were thinking oh we need we need uh, a company that could transform the building but after after talking more and more this weekend um, realization comes into mind that maybe we don't take a company but we make it into a communal act of actually doing the transformation that this would be interesting uh, if you see um, the type of people that um, that are gathered here to did this weekend uh, and and with the, the the joy and energy everybody uh, puts into um, yeah, um, imagining new ideas for such a place I can imagine that you can and with the same energy gather a crowd with which you can together do such a transformation which would maybe be more difficult practically but maybe be more uh, valuable in the end and in the end more um, yeah did you did you receive more back if you do a transformation in such a way so um, what I love about the read zone is that everybody can talk about whatever he or she they think and they all agree and they assume that they're talking about the same topic <laughs> but actually they are interconnected layers with only at the infinite connect and um, I think that's what we're doing um, at the moment that we are I talking about this that uh, rhizome is not is not a metaphor but it's something actual but uh, then I just remembered that you know for me you also deal with plants you know and plants uh, also through authors like Michael Marder and people like that you know are in actuality that sort of of a rhizome because they do not respond to any sort of a center right for me let's say you know it's a good thing to to say this because it's an it's a way to expand also on the topic and on the concept of thought what is what is thought you know and it's a way a nice way to bring in also plans because whenever we talk we talk about thought we talk about this 
uh, you know, we talk about us, right? People, which have a center, which is the brain, right? And we say, you know, so beings without this sort of center do not have thought. But I think that, uh, that people like that, theorists who try to expand on the notion of thought, they're trying to show that, yeah, it is a very dispersed, uh, thinking is very dispersed, right? And I think also um, with people is very dispersed. And also when you said, you know, we cannot choose whether we digest or not, you know, I think that body is in certain, in certain ways and certain parts of bodies are uh, organized, but were organized, you know, also, you know, due to power relations and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so if we take, for example, the, if we take, for example, sexuality, right um you know different uh different parts of our body can be very sexualized right and uh, i think that um, with that kind of thought if we go a bit further we can see that uh, all of our body and different parts of the body can really be made and uh, also um say you know they can be made into something different into having different roles in our lives and just to think of it abstractly then you say ah that is possible that is very good i mean in the sense that uh we do not have to be in this way which is a good thing to think about because if we think that we do not have to be in a certain way we can be whatever we want to be of course we have to digest <laughs> But digest, digestion also happens in other parts of body. Um, what kind of digestion? Different digestions, you know, and we think of that there. Are <laughs> if we think of the fact that there are different digestions, we we start to think that you know all of our body is in certain way digesting. I don't know how that can be useful, but I think it can. <laughs> you know. We'll find out when yeah. we digest, maybe. Yeah. But actually, uh, just something shortly on what you said. I even don't think that body is a centralized system. I actually think that the body is a decentralized system. And the brain is a kind of uh, um, a manager, we could say. Like, you know, organizing and, you know, we like kind of structuring things. But I'm thinking with my body now. Like, as I'm sitting, I'm thinking as I'm sensing, I'm thinking, as I'm feeling, I'm thinking, right? Like, so I think we separated this kind of thinking, feeling, sensing, like it's all in, it, in its own box. And then we prioritize the rational um, cog cognitive kind of way of thinking. And then we said the brain is the boss in, th in the system. But actually, um, we can also flip it around. And actually, the skin is made from the same material as the brain so it's actually like a sinking organ all along uh, the body right like um so we could also think of the body as a decentralized system in this way as a rhizome but organized you know and this is like this is where where i think it gets really interesting because also with many of you we were speaking about complete rhizomatic living is an is a madness it's like no 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 structure at all and no uh, no center at all but at the same time so so how does it become maybe rhizomatic and playful and free to make connections and free to be who we want to be 
but at the same time organized yeah no no sure sure i think that also that's why i said of the you know having let's say a space where a body can can be disorganized you know and a time for it um, what i tried to say is that before we started this conversation we had this exercise right and i think that at a certain level we did disorganize our body i never use my feet to feel the ground <laughs> no it's it's true, it may sound silly, but I don't do it. I walk with my feet. I uh, jump with my feet. But, but I, even though I do stand on the ground, I do not actually feel the ground, you know? So... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's, that's the thing you're trying also to say. Yeah, that, uh, you know, at, at certain moments, I think, and at certain spaces, uh, stuff like disorganization of our bodies is is fruitful, right? So because of me feeling the ground, I I dealt with my feet in some other way that I usually do, and that, you know, also the manager up here, you know, uh, can have a rest. Yeah, sure, sure. And can come into reciprocity, right? Many people also drop this word because I think we rarely actually realize also this reciprocity with the with the structure beneath us and that whenever we search for stability actually it's always there like some rhizome need to interrupt them they're too constantly talking somebody <laughs> needs to interrupt them and this somebody chaos, just started chaos, <laughs> chaos. <laughs> we need to break some structure maybe things fall in place through chaos resonating with the conversation <laughs> Even though, even though I love the, the the topics that you just addressed when I entered, like learning from other species and understanding our also our own organism as a decentralized system of of receiving information and uh, replying to information to our environments, because I think that's exactly what, luckily, what we can, what all of us are very, yeah, I think fortunate to experience through the help of science and uh, that we start understanding all these processes in plants and other and uh, microbes and, and other animals and further also that these uh, processes are not only in these other species but that they also happen in our bodies and that uh, our guts and our physical memory that they start discovering more and more that our whole nervous system is a brain itself and that our I think that these are all parallels that are now being that they have been discovered in the last couple of years and now slowly being accepted of creating bridges between us and other species but I don't know yet how this can be addressed in within that <laughs> context <laughs> it's totally being addressed because we were speaking in the beginning that uh, one of the characteristics also of rhizome is that it makes connections um it's a it's like this fundamental openness to connections and it makes connections everywhere like it's not from it's not in a linear way like from this i go i connect to here and from this i connect to here it can start connecting in different directions and you connect it to something that was in the air here and huh and you connect it to something else huh so it's like there are multiple like a bit like what matteo was addressing that there are multiple layers in in the space and i think this is i guess like how do we dwell in complexity this is for me the inquiry with the rhizome and 
dwelling in, in the complexity of not controlling life in a way but kind of learning from that way of being alive from that way of being a mycelium or a, a rhizome or this kind of more um, less structured structure or indeed a structure without a center so it's um yeah yeah ask you just a question but do you have let's say because uh, i'm very sometimes um perplexed of how we can do that like connect with other other species and uh, let's say you know other living beings and whatever it's uh this is not a critique or whatever i have my own way let's say because i'm a very rational rational person um uh, i have this way of of trying to expand concepts which are mine, let's say mine, as a human being, let's say. There is a, a concept of, of memory. I like it a lot. You know, I think it's very valuable. And uh, for me, it wasn't just saying, you know, it, it wasn't in showing that, let's say, animals and plants are different from us, you know. So let's say someone would say, you know, even though they do not have memory, I'm not saying that they don't, uh, even though that they don't have memory, they are uh, valuable. For me, I had this other way around of trying to figure out what kind of, uh, how can I stretch the concept of memory to give it also to a plant. Let's say animals, of course, animals have memories. You know, I mean, uh, if you, plants also, that's the thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's but for me, only, observa only observation and studying, I mean, it has to go also through this kind of, uh, you know, of this, uh, I would call it a system of expanding our our own concepts yeah. to bringing them inside, right? Plants. You have a plant there. Sun goes like this. Plants move with the sun. Then they take out the plant, you know, away from the sun. The plant, you know, goes with the sun even though the sun isn't there. Yeah. That for me is incredible. <laughs> And, I mean, it's putting the plant into this concept of memory, you know, and also it makes me, it makes me uh, acknowledge also the fact that the memory is not only here, because plants do not have this here, you know, they have it all over. And for me that is so fascinating, fascinating because it means, I think, that I also have it, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So I think what... Yeah. I think this is really interesting that that uh, we started always looking or for this interspecies connection by projecting uh, aspects of our own organism onto other organisms. So we were interpreting certain actions and certain behaviors of plants and other species with yeah, based on our own behavior within groups or like the way we perceive our environments. But I think what I like what you just said is that you look at the plant and then the plant tells you something about you and not you, like you telling something basically to the plant about. I think this is really, because that's exactly like this, a plant organism like is, is sensing the environment through like its membrane, through the roots, through like humidity through smell, like they communicate, like their their way of communicating through scent is so sophisticated. 
and also is part of the memory that is given from generation to generation of plant. That's how they adapt to environments. Mm -hmm. And they can adapt to environments like billion times faster than we, for example, do. And that's all based on the fact that plants, the species that is forced or became stationary. And you could also think that throughout evolution, they decided to be stationary because they they figured out the, like the, the what do you say? The, the win in being stationary compared to being possible to, to, to move. Like, but it's, it's, you could also see that it's much more energy saving to be moved by the elements, you know, rather than moving yourself. Like we decided to move. We could also say we could also just live in the water and let us, you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's true. I also like this uh, plants not moving. You know, we had this a lot of discussions about this. I also talked to Michael Marder about it when he said that the way to uh, he gave a few examples of what plant politics could look like. And he was talking about protests. So let's say the Occupy movement. And, you know, he said that usually um, usually protests and stuff like that, you know, uh, is uh, was formed in perspective of more of more animal life let's say of you know moving in hordes or whatever you know but then he he acknowledged the fact that then you know let's say one occupy movement was the f the the one movement that was planting itself in the ground and that was very uh, this that this uh, it disturbed the system very much so because it was not used to protesting as a plant and then, of course, he talked about the potential of of um, of that that kind of uh, type of protesting or whatever. But to move back to to what you said, I still think that I have a bit of the anthrop anthropocentric or ant whatever uh, <laughs> way. But no, be, because it's uh, no, it's also my way of being pragmatic, you know, because I think that people care more about themselves than other things so i try to say okay let's take a concept you have in mind and that you appreciate let's say people usually do um, appreciate memory right they're afraid of loss of memory they're um, so let's try to put that on the plant but at the same time tr you know tricking them in the sense you know uh yeah, you're you're very cool, you know, and all of that, you human being, right? But then showing that, wow, you know, that memory in the plant is so much more. And then people can accept it into their own conception of memory. But it's just me being pragmatic and being very, uh, you know, having strategies also to, to point stuff out about plants. Because we could also, of course, talk about... Uh, all of the million gazillion cool things about plants but if someone is not open to those kind of things you know um he will say just eh, memory is way cooler than all of that you know so a human person is way cooler than all of that and why do plants need to prove to us that they have a memory so that we can say okay then you are like sentient beings now we take you more seriously than we did before we just don't just like despise of you or like that's a very good question and i think it's just a strategy i think to include more people into the discussion about the importance of plants because uh, in some way i think that memory and 
concepts that are connected to memory are actually even more important to the concept of our existence in a way because if to me it was more important to hear to acknowledge the fact that plants have uh, memory than acknowledging the fact that without plants we could not live it's a very strange strange uh, thing but i think it's uh, maybe because uh, you know it's it just it is a very big part of us being human we thought of not sharing memory with any other beings but we know that we share existence with other beings so i think that at certain point uh, it's a more important thing um, in a human's life and it's just me being pragmatic about it you know of yeah i what, what i started what i started wondering was uh that for me the memory of a plant is not like for me a memory or that's just now how i was uh thinking about it is something that that it's an experience that you you perceive with your different with your multiple senses and you absorb it but then it it wanders through a kind of filter so and for me the memory of a plant i think at least what we have been talking about is more the m the pure experience and this perception of 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 the environment is being saved for example in a seed like bit by bit over a thousand million of years i want to ground it i want to ground it that's why i'm sitting on the floor i'm really curious about what you said this passing on of knowledge through plants and how they adapt to to space and to their environment and how they gather knowledge and uh, smells and experiences and maybe they do it through seeds or spores or uh, other ways and i'm really curious if we can take it back to what we are talking here this weekend like what could be ways of um communicating and passing on knowledge that we in maybe a short time here um, gather uh, experience collect harvest share um, what are ways to to pass it on to others um, I, I think it's a very um, interesting question and it's maybe also dealing with this kind of tacit knowledge, like not outspoken knowledge while working the garden or working the landscape. And I think if you look at rituals or tradition, was a way that, that people used to pass on this knowledge and pa pass on this kind of know-how how to deal with special plants in, in this kind of surroundings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated or intrigued by, let's say, starting this new kind of rituals or this new kind of traditions in order to pass on um, this knowledge and I think we we addressed it earlier this weekend that the residency could kind of overlap or there could be a kind of calendar which is kind of helping to pass on this um, this knowledge so yeah maybe we could think about new forms of tradition do you have a ritual in mind do you have like a 
maybe um, uh, I need to think of one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But bur burying some butter. Yeah, but um, mm. could you t could you say a bit more about that because I missed this one. Well, uh, earlier this week we uh, um, we th there was some butter made by uh, by Philip uh, and, and uh, many ma others. Yeah, and many <laughs> others. Yeah, we, we we weren't here yet, but we were uh, we were part of the the morning uh, burial of the butter, and um, yeah. So so we dug a hole um, uh, somewhere on the clean terraces. Uh, and there were some uh, stones uh, placed in this hole, and uh, the butter was uh, covered in, I think, wine, uh, wine leaves, gr grave leaves, uh, and it was buried. And I think um, by kind of digging this hole, you kind of get an understanding of what kind of soil you're dealing with. And by by burying the butter, you kind of have the responsibility to kind of dig it out also the next year. So, so it's 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 about some kind of commitment towards the landscape. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe rituals have this kind of may maybe I'm not sure, but they could have this negative connotation of kind of things f from the past. But I'm I'm fascinated in 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 maybe say uh, contemporary rituals and to yeah. To illustrate the rituals, I think the the new ritual of burying the butter and, and digging it out could be, let's say, a new kind of relationship with this with this place and with this landscape. And I think in order to to succeed with with the things we are trying to address um, this weekend, um, maybe it is about this new form of relation with with this place and 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 rethinking and redefining this. Uh, this relation and I think we can learn a lot from the past but we should also try to to establish these new kind of rituals and relationships
Thanks for tuning in to Woods in the Sound this month. We also thank Tosca Tehran, an interdisciplinary artist working at the intersection of arts and ecology, for the mesmerizing soundscape you just listened to. It was recorded live during the Chaos von Gorum installation for Nuit Blanche 2018 at the Baba Yaga Collective Studio Gallery in Toronto, Canada. If you would like to explore further with us the notions of ecological being, we invite you to come for a collective practice dojo, which is taking place online every month. As well as join us on the trails of Foresta Seasonal Academy, the learning experience dedicated to ecologies of human and more than human vibrancy and restoration of bonding. For more details and registration, you will find the links in podcast notes as well as all the credits for audio and video context markers of this podcast. Do send us your questions, answers, comments. We'd love to hear from you. And see you in the woods.